Well, good morning, White Plains. It's been a good morning of worship to spend with you. Thank you for joining us. My name is Gary, and if this is the first time you've been here, I want a special welcome to you. Thank you for being our guest this morning. I hope that you find our church to be a very warm and welcoming group of people. Um, before we dismiss our kids for Kids Church, I want to sort of flip our flow of communion this morning. I realize that we have several kids who have expressed faith in Jesus and they've been baptized and because we uh, give them the opportunity to go on up to kids church before we do communion, many of them don't celebrate communion with us and so I want to make sure that we give our kids who believe in Jesus and have been baptized an opportunity to observe communion with us. And I also realize that many of our kids probably are learning about Jesus and are curious about Jesus and this is one other way that they could grow in their knowledge of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them. So, so kids, stick around with us this morning. Um, we'll dismiss you in a few minutes. But um, as we approach the Lord's table and we observe communion, we remember and celebrate the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus died a death that was meant for us because we're not perfect. The Bible calls our inability to be perfect sin. And sin is anything that we do or think that lets God know or others know that we think that we're smarter or better than God or more important. The Bible says that we all sin. Every one of us sins. And because of that sin, there's a punishment to be paid. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And because no one is perfect, since we all sin, we must, be, we must be punished. God realizes that we can't be perfect, and that's why we have Jesus. That's why he sent Jesus. Jesus lived a life of perfection, a life that we couldn't live. Jesus takes the punishment that we deserve, and that's what we celebrate at communion. We remember that during communion. God's love is the best kind of love there is because he created you and he wants to, you always to be with him forever. We're going to celebrate Easter in a few months and we're going to celebrate even though Jesus died, he didn't stay dead. He became alive again to show you and everyone else that he is powerful enough to overcome death and take the punishment of our sin so that we can live with God forever. And thinking back through Romans 6.23, at the end of that verse, we call Jesus our Lord. For Jesus to be our Lord, that means we allow Him, we allow Jesus to tell us how to live our lives. We look at His words in the Bible to know what is right and what is wrong, what pleases God and what doesn't please God. That's how we make Jesus our Lord. As we trust Jesus to die in our place, we live a life that honors his death by doing the things that he would want us to do. That's what it means to say that Jesus is our Lord. And as we approach the table this morning, we practice open commun communion here at White Plains. So if you're trusting and following after Jesus, regardless of your membership, your membership or your affiliation, uh, we would welcome you and invite you to partake with us this morning. However, if you're unsure about what you think of Jesus... If you're still trying to figure him out, we would just ask that you would respectfully observe the next few moments with us. So kids, this is for you too. If you love Jesus 
and you've been baptized, you can take communion with us this morning. If you're still thinking about Jesus and what he means to you, just let the plates pass you uh, as they come to you and consider how much God loves you this morning. I'll invite our ushers to come down to prepare to serve us. And as they're coming down, I'll remind you that we have stacked the elements in the trays. So there's, there's two cups, one on top of the other. Make sure you get both cups as they pass, as we're only going to pass the trays once. And if you prefer, there's a gluten-free option uh, out at the welcome desk. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this time to observe communion, to remember and to celebrate all that Jesus has done. Speak to us in this moment. Help us to see your love for us. Help us to think about the lordship you have over us. Strengthen us as we look to you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Nearing the end of his earthly life, Jesus was with his disciples. Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Jesus continues, and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many of the forgiveness of sins.
Thank you, kids, for joining us this morning for communion. That might have been the first time some of y'all have sat through that. If you want to know more about what it means to follow after Jesus, talk to your mom and your dad. You could talk to CJ or to me or your kids' church leaders. We love you, kids, and we want you to know that God loves you, too. So if you're in kindergarten through sixth grade, you could be dismissed to go on up to kids' church, and they'll be dismissed after church is over to the lobby. So we're going to continue our series, Biblical Church, where I'm leading you through seven biblical purposes of the church, and therefore seven biblical purposes of the Christian. Christians are the church. You and I are the church. And as the church, we're exploring what the Bible says that we should be about collectively. We are seeing, I hope, that what the Bible says to the church, it also says to the Christian. Now, these seven purposes are probably not a complete list of all the church should be about, but they are foundational for our church and for the Christian. This morning, I want to take us to a a passage of the Bible that I am sure many of you have heard before. It's one of the favorites of pastors reading through this book, but we will use this passage to help focus our attention on what God wants in our lives. I know that many of us have heard this passage in Ephesians preached before, and perhaps you've studied it multiple times. However, I would ask that you would let God's word speak to you again as we read from Ephesians chapter 4. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. We'll start in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your desire for us to grow in you, 
to do things that you've called us to. Help us to let the words of Scripture stay in our mind as we spend the next few minutes looking at the ways you've made us. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning's already been a bit different, and it will be a little bit more different. And I don't think it's because of the cough medicine I'm on, but it, it might be. I realize many of us have been coughing and hacking and all that stuff. But, but this morning, I, I want us to, as we look at the biblical concept of, of ministry, I want to take you through a class that I created for the church in Ohio that, that we use to help our members find their fit in ministry. So we just read Ephesians, and we understand that the saints are to do the work of ministry. That means that every believer in Jesus, everyone who's following after Jesus, is given the task of ministry. And this morning, I want to walk you through this message slash class to help you discover a few things about yourself. I'll trust this will be an engaging morning for you as you will think about how God has wired you, specifically how God has wired you for ministry in the local church. We're going to answer three rather important questions this morning. And as we answer these questions, we're going to search the Bible. We'll search ourselves, and we'll search our church. The three big questions that we're going to answer this morning are these. Who does the Bible say I am? How has God made me? And where am I best fit to serve? So much of our ideas of ministry are expressed in the church through volunteering to serve in various ministry efforts. And the church is comprised of various types of people called to serve each other and the community that we live in. And we do that as a way of showing love and devotion to our God. Leith Anderson wrote a book called Volunteering, A Guide to Serving in the Body of Christ. And he says this, When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you became part of his family, his team, his tribe, his cohort, whatever you want to call it, God expects that you will use your gifts, talents, and abilities for his glory and the advancement of his kingdom. We do all of this to make God look good for his glory. If you like sports, think of it this way. God didn't sign you up for his team to simply have you sit on the sidelines of life. He designed you to play. And he has just the right position in mind for you. God loves you. God has called you to himself. And as he's called you to himself, he has given you his word to help you know more about him and how to best respond to him. Especially when it comes to following after him and finding a ministry. Let's look at what the Bible says as we answer the question, who does the Bible say I am? The Bible not only helps us understand God, it absolutely helps us understand God, but in its pages, as we search God's Word, we can understand more about ourselves as well. For instance, in Ephesians 2, verse 10, we find this, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. God made you for a purpose. 
God has something in mind for you. God created you to live out that purpose. And that purpose, according to the Bible, is good works. God made you to serve out those good works even before he created you. In Ephesians 2, we see that God created me for ministry. God created you for ministry. The Bible Knowledge Commentary helps us understand this idea that the purpose of creation is that believers will do good works. God's God's workmanship is not achieved by good works, but it is the result of good works. Now, we don't need to mix up this idea that our good works save us because they don't. They can't. But our salvation is lived out It is proven, in a way, by our good works. Specifically, our ministry as part of a local church. Two weeks ago, we looked at the body language of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we saw that members of the church perform different functions in the church for the overall health of the church. Each member is given a role. They're not the same. We don't all serve in the same ways. Let's look back to the main part of our passage in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, we don't have apostles anymore. Biblically speaking, apostles were connected to Christ by physically being with him and being sent out from him or by him. We really don't have prophets anymore, at least not in the way of the Old Testament. We have a completed canon, so Scripture is all that we need to hear from God, and God wouldn't say anything contrary to it. Plus, we have enough in Scripture that God has given us that we know how to respond rightly to God, so we don't have the same need for prophets like they they needed in the Old Testament. We do have people currently who speak the truth that's found in Scripture. And you might call that prophecy. Uh, You could also call it evangelism. You could call it shepherding and teaching. Evangelists share the gospel, and they call God's people, or they call people to believe and repent and become God's people. Shepherds are pastors who care for a local church. I am your shepherd. CJ shepherds our kids and students as well. We have teachers, shepherds, often teach. I am White Plains' chief teacher, but we have a dedicated group of other teachers of all types, including Sunday school teachers. For all ages, we have small group leaders, Bible study leaders, and others who teach God's Word to each other. Then we also have in the church people who aren't any of these, and that's good. That's, that's, that's okay. Paul calls these people the saints, and they are the ones, the members of the church, who are following after Jesus, they serve the church in every other way that the church needs in ministry. These ministries are essential for the church to be healthy. What I want you to see from this passage in Ephesians chapter 4 is that church staff is here to equip church members to do ministry. Church staff is here to equip church members to do ministry. What we also see here is that ministry of the church is primarily meant to build up the church. 
Now, yes, absolutely we should reach out to the community to love them well for the gospel's sake. But the church is really built to build itself up through the ministry of her members, equipped by her pastors and staff. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, we find this. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. 2 Timothy was written by the same guy who wrote Ephesians. This is Paul. So as we read these two passages, we're reading the same guy. We're reading the same author, and we can make sense of both books by comparing the two. In this case, Paul talks about the purpose that God has for us before he even created us. Paul says that in Ephesians, and he says it here in 2 Timothy, he's speaking about your ministry. Before he even created you, he created a ministry for you to serve him. And that's what he's saying here. God saved me for ministry. If you're taking notes. God saved me for ministry. In Ephesians, we understand that God created us for ministry. God's interaction with us is more than just creation. God didn't just create us and let us run amok. He saved you. He saved you. And he gave you a purpose. Not just to get out of hell free card, but God saved you for ministry. Have you come to trust in God for salvation? Good. He did that so that you would serve the church and serve him. Let's leave Paul for a minute and look at what Peter says. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says, And each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Peter understands that each member of the church is to serve the church. He equates ministry with being a good steward of what God has given you. Now, many times we think of stewardship as primarily being able to properly handle money, and stewardship does mean that. Our deacon team, but it means much more in our deacon team, is, is looking at ways to best steward our existing buildings as we desire to create a dedicated ministry space for our middle school and high school students and enlarge our dedicated ministry space for our kids' ministry. Stewardship is properly handling all that God has given us. Our money, our buildings, and in this case in 1 Peter, our spiritual gifts. In your notes, God gifted me for ministry. God gifted me for ministry. So God created you for ministry, In the church, he's given people different roles to equip you for ministry. He saved you for ministry. He's even given you specific gifts for ministry. Biblically speaking, ministry is an important call on the Christian's life. To ignore it is to disobey God himself. Let's look at the letter to the Colossian church where Paul is giving his final instructions to them. In Colossians 4, verse 17, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. Paul is admonishing a fellow by the name Archippus to complete the ministry that he has been neglecting. Archippus is the son of Philemon, 
and we don't know why or how he stopped serving in that ministry, but we see that God is speaking through Paul to let, to let us know something. In your notes, God commanded me for ministry. God commanded you for ministry. I've, I've been trying to persuade you in Scripture so that you could see that you have a ministry to fulfill in the church. I've been trying to pull you gently through the Scriptures to show you that you have a purpose given by God to kind of draw you to want to serve in a ministry. Then Paul here, speaking for God, pulls out the God card and says, I've commanded you to ministry. God has commanded us to ministry. So now that we've looked at what the Bible has said about us, and how we're made, let's quickly continue to the next part of our notes. It seems pretty clear that all members of a church, each follower of Jesus, are to be actively involved in ministry. You may be saying to yourself, okay, I get it. What do I do? What should I do? And before we answer that, I want us to look inward a bit and begin to understand ourselves because God has created you. He's made you uniquely special. He's gifted you for ministry, and you are built supernaturally to serve in specific areas, and maybe not just in any area, but specific certain areas. And we can benefit from doing a little inward reflecting to see where God might be leading you to serve in ministry. There's four areas that we'll quickly touch on to understand how God has made you. And I'll trust that you'll spend some time this afternoon or over the next week to explore these areas further. But the first area is your passion. What are you passionate about? Many times our ministry will come out of a passion that we have. In Psalm 37, we read, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. As you love God, your passions will be shaped by what God, what makes God happy. As you begin to see where your passions fall, God will draw you usually to a ministry effort around those passions. Now, as we minister out of our passions, we might get lost in doing the work of the ministry because we love that ministry so much. It's, we're so passionate about it. But we must remember that we do the work of ministry not for the ministry, but for God. Paul helps to, helps us, helps to remind us this in Colossians chapter 3, 23 and 24 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. We are serving Jesus as we serve in ministry. We are not serving White Plains. We're not serving a pastor or a ministry leader. Jesus is the one we serve as, we, as we're serving, even as we minister to build up the church and follow the direction of the church's vision. We serve Jesus, and we receive our reward from Jesus. So what are you passionate about? What gets you excited? What God-honoring passions do you have? 
Take some time this afternoon or this week. Write those things down in your notes as they come to mind. They could include anything like kids, sports, hunting, reading, art, music. There are so many things that God has given you a passion for. List those. Perhaps some of those are coming to mind right now. Jot those down in your notes as they come to you. The second area is similar, but a bit different. What are you good at? What abilities do you have that you could use for ministry? In Exodus 31, verse 3, And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge in all craftsmanship. God has given each of us abilities. Some of you all are really good at music. Some at woodworking. Some at electrical wiring. Others are good at explaining hard concepts to young minds. Just as there are countless passions, there are countless abilities. What are you good at? Now, it might feel like bragging to explore this area a little bit. And if you feel like you're headed down a prideful path, ask someone who knows you well what they think you're good at. And write those things down in your notes. What kind of abilities do others see in you? The third area that I want us to explore is our personality style. Now, some of us are extroverted, sensing, thinking, judging people, while others are introverted, intuitive, feeling, perceiving people. All of us are some varying combination of this mix. This is, of course, according to the Myers-Briggs assessment Our varying personality styles help the church in different ministry areas, but they can also cause friction, can't they? Our personality differences can cause friction and misunderstanding, and I think it's important for us to know our personality styles, not to use it as a crutch and say, well, this is just how God has made me, but to increase our own self-awareness and so that when conflict does arise, we can see where we might have added to the conflict. Our personality styles and assessments are not the gospel truth, but there is enough benefit to understand them and to understand ourselves that to take an assessment is beneficial. I've included a link to a free personality assessment on your notes. Um, Feel free to take that as you have some time. If anyone's trying to figure out my personality type, I am an INTJ. My N and S are basically the same. And if you're familiar with those letters, then I've told you more about myself than many of us know about our own selves. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as we think about our personality styles. Now, there are are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, But it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Our personalities and all that come with it help us to serve in the ministry that God has called us to. I would encourage you to take that personality assessment and write down what your personality is. The final area that we're going to look at to understand how God has made us is by looking at our spiritual gifts. If we look back at 1 Peter chapter 4, each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another 
as good stewards of God's varied grace. As a Christian, as someone who is following after Jesus, you've been given at least one, but probably more, a few different gifts from the Holy Spirit. These came to you as you began to express your faith in Jesus. These are spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit to be used to build up the church and to serve in ministry. I have a paper copy of a spiritual gift assessment out on the welcome desk. Lifeway came up with this several years ago, and I found it very helpful to uh, not only understand how I'm gifted, but what those gifts mean. So there's definitions of the different gifts um, that, that, uh, that are found in Scripture. If you've never taken a spiritual gift assessment, I would strongly encourage you to work through this assessment sometime this week. I think you're going to walk away better knowing how God has made you and where you can best fit to be served uh, in a church, in in the local church. Uh, It will take a little bit of time, maybe 30 minutes to to an hour to complete, but it will be worth uh, every minute to really know how God has gifted you with His Holy Spirit, um, especially as you're discerning where you can best serve God in a ministry area. Once you've taken it and have results, I would love to talk to you more about it. If you have questions about what those things mean and where they best can translate into the church. Um, And uh, that leads us to the last question that we're going to be looking at. Where am I best fit to serve? Now, if you've worked through these assessments just to gain a greater knowledge of yourself and how God made you, then you've done it wrong. This message and these resources aren't meant to increase your head knowledge. They are meant to move your hands into ministry and give God glory and build up His church. Some of you all probably already know how God has made you, and perhaps you're waiting for an invitation to be plugged in into a ministry. Consider this your invitation. You are invited to join the work of White Plains Baptist Church through a ministry that you've been created, equipped, saved, gifted, and commanded to serve in. I do want to point your attention to a new local outreach opportunity that might be a good fit for some of you. Last week in our Reimagined Church workshop, we were discussing the difficulty the church, not just our church, but the church, has in reaching young adults. These 20-somethings are the ones who are figuring life out for the first time as they leave the home of their parents, as they get married, get careers, and begin having children. And if we could reach this group, especially the women, the moms of young kids, if we could reach them with the gospel and give them fellowship with other Christian women who've walked the past path of motherhood before, can you imagine what good God could do through our ministry to young mothers here in this community? You know this, moms are important. 82% of families say they started going to church because mom decided it was important. 77% of adults say their mom is the most influential person in their faith life. Yet, 89% of moms feel lack of support. 
Now, these are statistics given to me by a Christian organization called MOPS, Mothers of Preschoolers. Heather Brown is our nursery and preschool director, and she and I were talking through how we might could best reach this group of young adults that are missing from so many churches. Young mothers, especially first-time mothers, need a group of people who will share the gospel with them and disciple them, not only as Christians, but mentor them as mothers. That's where MOPS comes in. Because 79% of moms said they are worried they are drinking too much. 75% said they feel desperately lonely and have one or no close friends. And 35% of young mothers say they're struggling with anger that sometimes results in harm to their kids. Heather and I would like to form a launch team here at White Plains to see if this is a ministry endeavor that we might could take on. Maybe as you discover your gifts, your passions, abilities, and personality style, you may feel like this might be a good fit for you. We would like to form a launch team of about three to six women who might take on this local outreach to love mothers of preschoolers here in this community. The closest MOPS group is on the other side of Bowling Green. And we know that when moms are resourced, they elevate everyone else around them. So if you'd be interested in hearing more about our MOPS launch team, there's a sign-up sheet out at the welcome desk. And the launch team would consist of women and moms of all ages. Now, I realize that this may not be for everyone here, especially for the men. There are other few, there's a few other ways that you can serve. They're listed there in your bulletin. Um, stop by the welcome desk and let us know where you would like to begin serving. A ministry leader will reach out to you this week and will happily talk over next steps of getting you involved in serving out the way God has created you. He's called you. He's saved you and he's equipped you. But again, if you would prefer to discuss ministry and really sort of dive into some of the assessments that, that I've pointed you to, I would love to have that opportunity to sit down and talk with you personally and process this together with you. I'll invite the worship team to come back up, and I hope this has been an engaging morning for you. It's been a bit different, but I trust that God has worked through this topic to begin to grow an interest in discovering more about yourself and how you follow after God in ministry. But let me jump back to our observance of communion for just a moment. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Without Jesus, all of what we talked about is pointless. Without Jesus, you will never fully understand how God has made you, what the Bible says about you, and where you can best serve Jesus. You need Jesus first. There's no spiritual gift before there is a repentant soul trusting in Jesus. There is an order. We must have Jesus before we can walk in the ministry that God has created us for. If you haven't accepted the free gift of God found only in Jesus, will you do that today? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for this time of learning about what the Bible has said, who we are, how you've made us, and where we can best serve you here in this church. For those who are 
not fully understanding who you are, Lord, make it clear. Help us to know you and to follow after you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.